stepping into today. Now we're doing our, uh, I'm walking through, uh, through Genesis. I'm doing this very different than I normally would because we have Dr. Lyle coming in at the end of this. I don't want to cover things that he's going to be covering. There's really no reason to be redundant. So it's been a good challenge for me to kind of come at these things a little differently rather than these, uh, than the way that I've done them in the past. So this, uh, this week, what we're, the title of the message is A Broken World. And this starts right off the beginning of Genesis. And the idea is to help us understand why things are the way they are. The most common question I get is, I'm having a hard time believing God because of what I see around me. Anyone ever come across that? The world is so messed up, I don't understand how a good God can be in charge. If God can control everything, if he can just just, just decide, and and it is, then why are we dealing with the stuff that we're dealing with? Why is there so much evil in this world? And the answer is surprisingly simple. But one of the things you want to ask someone with that question is, can evil exist without God? Whenever someone asks me that question, they're outside the church especially, uh, I ask them this question, can evil exist without God? And almost always the answer is this, well, of course it can. Evil is just a result of someone, instead of making good decisions, they're making bad decisions. That's how evil gets, gets let go, and then people don't, don't take the time to deal with those that people that are, ha- that are making the bad questions, uh, making the bad choices. And so a good follow-up question is this one. So if you are going to blame God for the choices that people make to do evil instead of good, are you saying that in order for God to be good, that he would have to control you and force you to only do the good things that he wants? Or do you want a God that gives you the right to make your own choices and live your life as you see fit? See, because those are your only two options. If God is responsible for all the evil in the world, then you have to ask, do we even have choice? See, because if you want choice, then God is not responsible for all the evil in the world, is he? We are. So we have to take some responsibility here. We have to understand why things are the way they are. Typically, what I find is the people who have that same problem, who want to blame God for everything going wrong in the world, what they really want is for God to stop all the evil that other people are doing. But when they make a mistake or when they cross a line, they want God to turn a blind eye because they're good people. Now look, that guy that just flew down the road on 81 at you know 120 miles an hour heading to Syracuse, If God were real, there would be a cop right there. But when I'm doing 80, see, that's not too bad. I'm just, you don't, God understands I'm in a hurry. You see the difference? See, we want it both ways. It doesn't work that way. We either have choice or we're nothing but a bunch of lemmings. And the truth is we have choice. So that means... We've got to take some of the responsibility here. If we have free will, then all of the hardship and pain that we see around the world is the result of either our choices, our actions, or our inactions. See, because your actions can bring out, bring out one result, and so can your inactions. Dietrich Bonhoeffer used to say it like this, not to speak is to speak. And not to act is to act. 
When you're watching someone get beat up in school and the only thing you're doing is recording it with your phone, you are part of the problem. I watched a security cam video. I couldn't believe it. It was on the news. People, a guy was stabbed the night before and left for dead on the sidewalk. I'm not kidding. Left for dead on the sidewalk. People were walking by, taking pictures of him with their phone and leaving. It took an hour and a half after the sun came up before someone finally called the police to have someone come and take care of this guy. Those people are not problem solvers. They're part of the problem. But see, we don't want to get involved. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to cross that line. So you have to ask, how did we get to this place? How did the world get to here? Well, I want to read you a section of scripture. I'm going to read you the whole first chapter of Genesis. And I want you to pay attention to two specific things. I want you to look for a repeating phrase that God uses when he is creating the world. These are the, these are the six days of creation. And I believe these are literal days. I believe this is exactly how God did it. And we'll, we'll, uh, if, you, if you, you doubt me, come see Dr. Lyle and we'll, we'll, we'll talk afterwards because it's what you see around the world and you see in nature is exactly what, uh, what scripture tells us. But I want you to look for that repeating phrase. But then I also want you to pay, pay attention to Genesis chapter, uh, uh, verses 26 and 27. And I want you to see that there is a difference there between what God does for us versus what he does for everything else. Okay, so starting right off. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And evening passed, and morning came, marked the first day. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. And that is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters from the earth and the waters of the heaven, and God called that space sky. An evening passed and morning came, marked the second day. Then God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow together into one place so dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. God called the dry ground land. He called the watered seas, uh, called the water seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that, uh, that grow, seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will produce the kinds of plants and trees which they came. And that is what happened. Then the land produced vegetation, all sorts of seed-bearing plants and trees without, uh, with seed-bearing fruit. Their seeds produced plants and trees of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the third day. Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Then uh, uh, let them be, uh, be signs to mark seasons, days, and years. Let these lights in the sky shine down on earth. And that is what happened. God made two great lights, one uh, uh, to govern the day and one, uh, the smaller one to govern the night. He also made the stars. And God set these lights into the, uh, uh, in the sky to light the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the fourth day. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish. And other life, let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. So God created the great, uh, the great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water and every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. 
Then God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, multiply, let the fish uh, fill the seas, let the birds multiply on the earth. And evening uh, passed, and morning came, marking the fifth day. I don't know how that, that uh, uh, duplicated itself, but we'll move right along. Then God said, I'm looking at that going, that's not what that verse says. Then God said, let the earth produce every sort of animal, which uh, uh, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock, small animals that scurry along the ground, the wild animals. And that is what happened. God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, and small animals, each able to produce, produce offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Morning came, marking the sixth day. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals and the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed and morning came, marking the sixth day. First things first, verse 26 and 27, when God made mankind, he made us different from all the rest of creation. From all the rest of creation, God made us very, very different. But what does this mean? We were created in the image of God. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? It can be, I mean, does God look like me? How disappointing is that? You think God could reach, you know, something on a top shelf in Walmart? Does that mean God's got two legs, two arms, 10 fingers, 10 toes? It's kind of a nose. Is it big? Is it perfectly shaped? You know, does he have eyes that don't need glass? And what, is, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Now, the best way that I have found to understand this in relationship to our spiritual relationship with God is this. That during the days of creation, there are basically two ways in which God created. Two basic ways. You can see this in scripture. I'm not pulling this out from between the lines. You can actually see this happening. The first way is that he would speak to nothing and what he wanted would be, right? Let there be and there was. It's just that simple. The second way that he would create is he would actually use something and he would either form it or speak to it. He would speak to the ground. He would speak to the sea. He would, he would, he would form man out of, the, out of the dust of the ground. So he was either speaking to nothing and it showed up or he was speaking to something. But here's the cool thing. Every time he either spoke to or used something, what he was speaking to or using was whatever he was creating. It was that thing's origin. It was that thing's sustaining, uh, sustaining power. That's how, how it, how it, um, uh, how did I actually write that down? Uh, nourishment. It was that thing's nourishment and it was the destiny of whatever was made. So let me give you, let me help you understand this. It said, let the earth bring forth trees. Trees come from the ground. 
They're nourished by the ground. And when they die, they return to the ground. Let the fish of, let the, let the, let the seas bring forth fish. Fish come from the water. They are sustained by the water. When they die, they return to the water, right? Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Let us make man, make human beings in our image. Who is God speaking to when he's making man? Himself. Himself. He's not using physical material to make us. He's not binding us to the earth or to biology. We are something different. Something different within all creation. We are made in the image of God. Now, don't get excited. That doesn't mean you're a little God anymore. That means that fish are water or trees are dirt. Okay? We are not God. We are, not, we, are, we are made in the image of God. So there is something that we have that the rest of creation does not. So check this out. Genesis 1.20 says, Then, then God said, Let the water swarm with the fish like other, uh, 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 and other life. Let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. Genesis 1.24 says, Let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring after its same kind. And then if you skip over to Genesis 2.7, which is a more detailed explanation of the creation of man. It says, the Lord God formed, now listen, formed man from the dust of the ground. And then he breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living thing. What is the main difference between our life and all other life on earth? It's the breath of God. We have the living, breathing breath of God within us. And what, what, is that, what does that mean? That living, breathing breath of God that is in us is what makes us in the image of God. When God says, let us make man in our image, and then he formed our bodies out of the ground. And let's, take a, let's think about this. Our bodies come from the ground. They're sustained by things that are from the ground. Remember, we were originally created to be vegetarian. I know. I know. This is a barbecue weekend, not cool. We were originally created to be vegetarian. So we were sustained by what? The ground. What happens to this meat bag after I, go, after I die? It goes back to the ground. This is just biology. Life without the Spirit of God is nothing more than biology. When people say, I don't know how God can allow cancer to exist on this earth. Cancer is just biology. Cancer is a result of bad diet, bad life, and bad genes. That's all it is. This is just biology. This is not our life. This is not what makes us us, and this is not what makes us in the image of God. There is something different about humans that sets us apart from all life, and I want to show you what that is. In a minute. (laughs) We'll get there, I promise. So the second thing, did anyone catch the phrase that was repeated over and over again in the first chapter of Genesis? And it was good. What does it mean to be called good? 
It means you are worthy of a perfect God calling you good. That's not, that's not a small thing. Even Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good except the Father. That's how good the earth was. It was worthy of God calling it good. But the earth was still just a ball of dirt and water floating in space, right? The ground was still the ground. The animals were still animals and the humans were still humans, right? Something took place at the end of creation. Humanity, Adam and Eve, were on the earth. God still called it good. We were there. Humanity was there and it was still good. Good in the eyes of a perfect God. Something happened that made that brought us from very good to broken, lost, and in need of a savior. Something happened. Now, a lot of people, it's very simple. You just say sin. Sin happened. That's great. That's a great answer, but it's also really, really vague. Sin, the idea of sin is really, really vague. And I think we have a messed up idea of what sin is. We equate sin to actions. This action is a sin. This process is a sin. I want to challenge that today. I think the action that we blame is the result of sin, not the sin itself. Okay? If you change, if you, if you change your perspective on what the sin is, the action becomes very controllable. So let me ask you this. Is sin a tangible thing? Can I go down the street and get a box of sin? No. Can you, can you catch the sin if you're hanging around the wrong people? Okay, if you're hanging around the wrong people and you're wearing a mask, does that protect you from the sin? Just checking. It seems to be in the news a lot lately. So what is sin? When God made man, he set man and woman in the garden. And he said, you may eat of anything in the garden. Just don't eat of the trees in the middle of the garden. If you do, listen carefully, you will die. If you eat If you eat of that tree, you will die. Very important. Now, in Genesis 3, we find the most common attack. This is is known by creation speakers as the Genesis 3 attack. And basically, the, uh, the, the section of Scripture reads like this. It said, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that God had made. One day he asked the woman, "Did Now listen carefully. Did God really say did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden notice how he phrased it he asked the question and then changed the response because that's not what God said God said you can eat of any of the trees except that one so he phrased the question in a way where it got him into the conversation did God really say you couldn't eat any of the trees in the garden no, no, of course. Of course we may eat, eat fruit uh, from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. 
it's only the fruit in the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat of it or even touch it or you, uh, uh, if you do, you will die. So not only did she have the right answer, she had details. This wasn't something that she kind of knew. It wasn't just a memory verse she learned in Sunday school. This was she understood what God's word, please listen, what God's word to them was. She understood it. And then the serpent says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, listen to this, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it. And I want to point something out. That wasn't a lie. It was true. You'll see it here in a little bit. It is exactly what happened, but not for the reasons that he was claiming. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Hmm. What was this attack against? Was it against humanity? Was the devil trying to take us down? Could have just killed her. If the snake just wanted people dead, all he had to do was kill Eve. Um, no Eve, no babies, end of humanity. Either that or Adam loses another rib. And you know how guys feel about their ribs. Just saying. That might actually be why guys are so interested in ribs, because we think like we're getting them back or something like that. I don't know. This is worth exploring on a theological level. (laughs) In its simplest form, this was not simply an attack against humanity. Humanity was the victim, but the attack was against the word of God. The attack was against the word of God. What was being doubted, what was, what was, we were encouraged to not attach ourselves to, to not listen to, to not value, to not see as an authority was the word of God. And the difference between the word then and the word now is back then it was literally spoken to them face to face. But it's still the word of God. The attack was on the word of God. Now check this out. It says, the woman was convinced. The woman was convinced. I'd like you to notice that other part. She gave some of the fruit to her husband, who was standing right there. Who was with her, and he ate it too. Remember I talked about action and inaction? Want to know the reason why the New Testament and the rest of the Bible blames Adam for sin entering the world when his wife clearly ate first? It's because Adam didn't do his job as a husband and protect his wife. That opened the door. That's why it was his fault. The temptation set before mankind was more than fruit. Fruit was just the vehicle. The temptation was to believe or not believe the word of God. And it's the same temptation we deal with today. Sin was more than the action itself. Sin was the unbelief. The unbelief, the belief in their mind that God was lying, that God was hiding something from them, that God wanted something for himself that he wasn't going to give to them, even though he put it right in front of them. If they would just go beyond God's word, just just take a risk, go off the map, do something that God says. See, the real benefit is on the other side of it. 
If I just go past what God is trying to tell me, there's something amazing there and God's hiding it from me. So I'm going to violate the word of God because of course he's not going to kill me. Of course I'm not going to die. There's something wonderful there and I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to live life according to my standards, not God's standards. And I'm going to do what I want. She was convinced. Anyone ever been convinced that the word of God doesn't apply to them? You see, anyone can put a control on an action. We can't put the idea of sin into simply an action. Anyone can control their actions. If you're an alcoholic and you want to get clean from alcohol and all you do is limit your ability to have access to alcohol, you make it so that you have no more access to alcohol, you can be clean as long as you don't have that access. I have been free from alcohol for just years and years and years and years. Oh, wow, that's really great. The test comes when you do. That's when the test comes. That's one of the reasons why people who just, I'm just going to get rid of all the alcohol in my house, and they're free from it, and they're free from it, and all of a sudden, they're at someone's party, and there's a drink in front of them, and like, oh, I fell off the wagon. No, you, you never got on the wagon. Okay, the cricket's really funny. Like silence, crickets. Literally, crickets. Could you imagine an Amish kid standing up bragging to everyone that he is free from, from an addiction of in, to internet pornography? I've never been tempted by internet pornography. You don't have power in your house. Of course you're not. You, you don't even know what an email is. See, a virtue is not a virtue until it's tested. You can claim to be a virtuous person, you can claim to be a moral person, but if you have never been put in in the situation where your morality is challenged or your virtue is challenged, you don't know if you're a virtuous or a moral person. You don't know. This is why parents get it in their head that their kids are these little angels, and then they go off to college and they find out not really the case. That darn college polluted my child. (laughs) No, it didn't. What was in that child was waiting for an opportunity to come out. And when the door was open, it did. You see, we blame the action. But there is a heart condition behind that action that is what really has to be changed. There's something dead in us that opens us up to a world that is broken and full of sin. And we give ourselves permission If you want to really change, you have to change on the inside. You can control your actions all you want, but if you don't change the heart, then the person didn't change. They're just simply in a different situation now. Adam and Eve chose to believe that God was hiding something from them and that the penalty for their unbelief didn't apply. Let me ask you something. What was the penalty for their sin? Death. Does God lie? No. So what died? Clearly they didn't. I'm going to show you. Jesus answers this question in a conversation with Nicodemus. And I'm all, I've been, I've, 
been really surprised how many people I have, I have found who have been in the church their whole life who have never put these two things together. The fall in Genesis 3 and the answer in John 3. Listen to what Jesus says. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader who, uh, leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know God has sent you, uh, sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, what? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? That's just weird. But I understand what he's talking about. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, natural birth, and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. Humans can only give birth to spiritual life but the Spirit of God can give birth to spiritual life. So there's something that has never happened since the fall in the garden that is about to become available to people. And the Jewish leaders don't understand what it is. Jesus even says, how can you call yourself a teacher and you don't understand this? When Adam and Eve violated the word of God, it was the breath of life. It was the Spirit of God breathed into them at creation that died as the result of the sin. At that moment, we were nothing more than biology. We were not separate. We were not separate. We were not above. We were just in the midst of everything. And we opened the door to sin, to pain, to death, to suffering. The Spirit of God died in us because the Spirit of God cannot live in the presence of sin. Sin cannot exist in the presence of God. So something in us died, and it was that breath of life that made us different from all other life. In order for us to be restored to God, the spirit must be reborn. And the only way for that spirit to be reborn is that the sin issue has to be dealt with. The very thing that killed the spirit in the beginning must be atoned for. The problem is there was no understanding of atonement. There was no understanding of forgiveness. There was no understanding of sin in the beginning. So all of that had to be brought back to us. All of that understanding had to be given to us. And you know how it was given to us? Through the word of God. The very thing we violated in the beginning became the stepping stones to our redemption. We violated the word of God. So now the word of God was going to come back in and save us the scales would eventually be balanced. Today, our world is broken because we broke it. All the pain, suffering, and evil in the world is a result of one thing and one thing only, people not living according to the word of God, period. We chose to violate the word of God. Sin came into the world because of the word of God. In Genesis chapter three, God judged Adam and Eve as well as Satan, and this was God's judgment on Satan. He says, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and the, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head you will, and uh, you will strike at his heel. That word hostility is the Hebrew word eba, and it more commonly is translated enmity, not enmity, enmity. And what it means is we are now at war. 
the very first thing that God, the, the very first thing that God judged after the fall of man was the cause of that judgment. And he said that we are now at war. At war for what? For what was taken. We are at war for what the enemy has taken and God will restore that to himself. And he's going to use humanity to do it. The issue was that humanity made the choice not to believe God's word. The issue was that humanity made the choice not to believe God's word. When God finished with creation, he called it very good. And it was very good because it was all according to his word. The event that opened the door to sin, death, pain, and suffering was our rebellion against the word. It was not eating an apple. The rebellion started up here and in our hearts. And that gave us permission for the action. Still happens today, by the way. Check this out. Listen to the way the word of God describes itself and the process of our restoration. It says, in the beginning was uh, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. Okay, so he and God. We're obviously not talking about the same, same people. The he is Jesus. He is the word. God created everything through him, Jesus, and nothing was created except through him, Jesus. The word, Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and his life, Jesus, brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He, Jesus, came into the very world he created. But the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. But to all who believe in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. What, what are we believing in and accepting? The word. It's the word made flesh. They are reborn, not with a, this, now listen, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or a plan, but a birth that comes from God. You are reborn. There is nothing you can do in your life. Come to church, be good, tithe, do nice things for people. Meaningless without the rebirth of the Spirit. Completely meaningless. This is why religion does not save, only Jesus saves. And Jesus is interested in the rebirth of the Spirit not teaching you how to practice good deeds. You change the inside, the outside will take care of itself. So the, listen, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness and we have seen his glory, the glory of the father, uh, the father's one and only son. But pastor, that means that we should only just, we should just trust in Jesus. We don't need to trust in any of this Old Testament stuff. All that stuff's gone. We don't have to worry about any of that. Well, that's actually not quite the way Jesus phrased it. Um, he says, as Moses was lifted up, lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness. Oop, that's Old Testament. So the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world 
but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. What is him? The, Jesus, it's the word. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged. Not believing in God's one and only son and the judgment is based on this, uh, on this fact. God, God's light came into the world, but the people love darkness more than the light for their own actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see what they are doing, uh, that they are doing what God wants. Well, obviously, see, is this just saying we should just do good things? We're supposed to do things that are the light, right? No. Listen to this. First John 5 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ has become a child of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We, listen, we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Where are his commandments again? In the word. If we don't obey the word, then we don't love God. It's that simple. How about this last one? John 5, 46 and 47 says, If you really believe Moses, you would believe me because he wrote about me. Who's the me? Jesus. But since you don't believe, listen, what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? This all comes back to the word of God. We violated the word of God. We opened this world to sin. So God, through his word, through the nation of Israel, God gave us his word, timeless, inerrant, and all authoritative. So that we would know what it meant to live a righteous life. Righteousness is not living a life without temptation. Righteousness is a living, living a life that, that chooses the path of God in the midst of temptation. You understand? He told us how to know the difference between righteousness and sin. He taught us the price of sin. He gave us the knowledge of what we are, that we are incapable of toning for sin on our own. He promised to make a way through the prophets and the prophecies of the Messiah. Then he, the living word, stepped out of eternity, walked the earth as a man, and taught us the truth of salvation, forgiveness, and repentance. Then the living word died on the cross according to scripture rose from the grave according to scripture and then left us to return home and he left us with the same choice given to Adam and Eve in the beginning I don't know if you've ever noticed that the choice that is before us is the same choice that was before Adam and Eve to follow our own passions and disregard the word of God or live according to the word of God. It's just that simple. The reason things are the way they are today is because we live in a world that has rejected the word of God. The reason things are the way they are in a lot of churches is because those are churches that have rejected the word of God. The reason our nation is in the trouble that it's in now is because it has become a nation that has rejected the word of God. Our schools have rejected the word of God. Families have rejected the word of God. 
because we don't think it applies to us because we're good people. There is only one standard by which we live, and there is only one standard by which we will be judged. There is only one standard that can save, and it's the Word of God. If this is nothing more than a large coaster in your house, if the only time you're ever looking for your Bible is on Sunday morning before you come, you've got to ask yourself what you're doing with your life. Because if this is not the answer to all of your questions, then you are not living according to the Word of God.